Hello! Welcome to XR Star, your monthly podcast where we talk all things extended reality. I'm your host, futurist Amelia Coleman. Today we are talking about XR and the future of inclusivity. You've probably heard VR referred to as an empathy machine. VR allows us to transpose ourselves into another person's experience, seeing the world in a way we haven't experienced before ourselves. There's a rise in VR training for police officers in the wake of Black Lives Matter, as well as HR departments implementing training focused on vital business areas like unconscious bias, safe channels of communications, codes of conduct, and more. In one company, business leaders were made to feel marginalized in a VR experience, excluded and undervalued in this virtual environment. Many had never experienced exclusion before and reported that the simulation aroused powerful emotional and physical responses that led to revelations. While individuals who had experienced exclusion found the VR experience to be refreshing and validating. In recent years, some companies have relied on the minorities within their organizations to share their personal stories and experiences as a means of learning about exclusion. However, research has found that this type of training, which relies on emotional labor, can actually do more harm than good. This responsibility of of reliving and recounting can trigger post-traumatic stress disorder symptoms for already marginalized employees. In addition, their experiences are often met with disbelief or skepticism, which can cause further frustration and isolation. Sessions that leverage VR, on the other hand, rely on simulation to carry this responsibility. While the power of virtual reality to generate empathy and enhance inclusion outcomes is clear, it's important to note that VR training is not a silver, a silver bullet but it may initiate the dialogue required to spark actionable commitment. And if all this sounds a bit too woke for you, think about it from a business perspective. In DDI's 2020 inclusion report, they found that diversity has, the gr has a greater impact on financial performance than any other organizational demographic. Companies with above average diversity, meaning at least 30% of their leadership roles are held by women and 20% by people from traditionally underrepresented racial or ethnic backgrounds, are eight times more likely to be in the top 10% of organizations for financial performance. And more than one third of companies labeled best places to work rate inclusion and diversity a strong component of their culture and values. The metaverse has also become a safe haven for many, including members of the LGBTQIA community. As it's Pride Month, Oculus Quest has released a wide selection of curated content from, Georgia, from Georgia's first Pride March to a documentary on the world's oldest performing drag queen, and they're making it possible for anyone anywhere to participate in Pride. Also, I just want to give a quick shout out to Skittles Candy and their cleverly named Queer R Codes campaign. You can check it out in the latest edition of The Big Reveal via my website, ameliacallman.com. And for the remaining month of June, for every bag of the limited edition Skimmels, Skittles Prides packs sold, they're donating $1 to GLAAD. 
Now, I'm thrilled to introduce today's guest. Antonia Forster is a senior XR technical specialist at Unity, as well as a self-taught programmer, TEDx speaker, and LGBTQ plus activist. She is also the co-chair of the VRAR Association Women's Committee and currently building the world's first dedicated LGBTQIA plus VR museum containing stories and 3D scans of artifacts from the queer community. Welcome, Antonia. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Oh, it's such a pleasure. Thank you so much for being here today. I've, I've um, read a bit about your background and your story, and, um, and it, I think it's fascinating. I wonder if you can fill in our listeners a bit about how you got started in XR. Absolutely. Yeah. So I don't come from a traditional computer science background at all. Um, my training is actually in zoology. So I have a bachelor's and a master's in animal behavior. And I started a PhD. I was working in research labs and published my research. Um, but I realized I really wanted to communicate rather than be the one doing the research. So I moved into science communication. I worked in zoos and science centers. Uh, the person who says these are the penguins and tells you facts about them. That was my job for a while. It was great fun. And eventually I started working in a planetarium as a presenter. It's the only 3D planetarium in the UK. It's a 12 meter dome where you project content onto the ceiling. And I taught myself how to program it along with some of the staff there and uh, started making these astronomy shows for the dome. But I had the intuition that if we were making 3D content for a physical sphere, we could probably make 3D content for a virtual sphere, which is basically what virtual reality is. You're just inside a sort of sphere of content. So I put two and two together and I really wanted to learn a language that would allow me to create any kind of content. In the planetarium, uh, it had its own proprietary language and it was very specifically for astronomy. So we couldn't make any shows about the rainforest or about the desert, only shows about space. So in order to diversify the content, I wanted to learn a new language and potentially one that would also allow me to make VR. So I Googled it and I came across Unity, which seemed perfect for what I needed. It was free. So I taught myself Unity and C Sharp just using online resources like YouTube. I think I maybe bought one course on Udemy for £10. So I think I spent in the realm of 10 to £20 on my uh, technical education in total. <laughs> and uh, yeah, managed to start creating content for this 3D dome, which was really popular and also took the shows that we had and put them onto VR headsets, which gave us this mobility that we never had before. Um, shortly after that, I got a job as a full-time VR developer. And then about a year after that, I got a call from Unity for a role that I'm in now, which combines my public speaking background with my programming and developing skills. So it's really the ideal place to be. Oh, very cool. Yeah, fascinating story. And I love that you're self-taught and that, you know, that's such a great story too, that you can do it for so cheap, you know, I think there's this kind of mm. idea, this myth around you have to go to school for four years and you have to have all this specialist training and things. But um, so that's really refreshing to hear that. Um, so part of the reason I wanted to have you on today was because this great project that you're doing with the LGBTQIA plus museum in virtual reality. So curious if you can tell us a bit about how that idea evolved, um, where you are with the project today and what your hopes are for it for the future. Definitely. Yeah. So this is something I'm creating separately to my job. It's a passion project that I'm making on the side. And um, I'm an LGBT person and I grew up in a very uh, homophobic environment where it wasn't safe to be out. And in that, at that time, digital spaces were the only place where I could be open about my identity and connect with other queer people. 
Um, I was able to come out eventually as both bi and polyamorous in 2017, when I was in my very late 20s. And when I did, I had a really negative response from some of my family members. That reaction comes partly from ignorance and fear, from not knowing any queer people or openly queer people and not hearing or understanding their stories. Research shows that exposure to marginalized people and their experiences is a really powerful antidote to prejudice. And I think one of the most impactful ways we can use technology, especially cutting edge tech like XR, is creating that awareness and making space for underrepresented stories. I also find it interesting because of my background in science and discovery centers and museums to ask the question of who curates that content, who decides which stories we preserve and platform and which ones fade away. And a lot of museums, unfortunately, have their origins in cis-heteropatriarchy and white colonialism. So historically, they've reinforced the perspectives of one dominant cultural group. That is changing now, but the ability to curate a physical museum is still a very rare opportunity. But VR has the potential to democratize that. Anyone can create and curate virtual exhibits. And a virtual venue can be infinite. There's space for everyone. So um, I'm in the later stages of developing it now. We've got about 12 artifacts, which are 3D scans of real physical objects from people in the queer community here in my uh, hometown of Bristol, UK. And uh, we've got about 25 artworks from queer creators all over the world, everything from uh, drag queen makeup artistry to uh, digital illustration, and those decorate the venue. So I'm really happy to um, nearly be at the kind of final stages there Hopefully it should be out about the middle of next month. So that would be the middle of July. Amazing. And uh, it'll be available on the SideQuest and on the Oculus App Lab. So uh, those are the places that you'll be able to find it. Very cool. And um, and so what's the kind of the, the end goal for it? Is it going to be something that develops over time? Um, what, what's kind of the future of it? Yeah, it's something I'd like to rebuild for Pride every year. So um, obviously this year with the pandemic stretching on has been kind of unusual. A lot of pop-up exhibitions haven't been possible. So my eventual goal, even for this year, is to have um, pop-up exhibitions. So I'm scheduled to be showing it at the Open City Documentaries Festival in the UK in September. And I'd like to expand the museum every year, keeping those original items and their stories, but also gathering more, incorporating more cutting edge technology, something like volumetric video. I'd really love to include um, volumetric video interviews of um, queer people and maybe performers like drag queens to try and capture some of that essence. Um, and yeah, to continue developing it uh, year upon year. That's the goal. Amazing. I mean, I was just thinking, um, I was friends with Story, Sto Stormy Delavery, who was the person who threw the first punch at Stonewall. And, um, and wow. to be able to have and she's passed away now, unfortunately, but to be able to yeah. maybe have someone like her in virtual reality telling her story, you can actually bring people back from throughout history. And, um, and it's a really unique way to tell stories, you know, um, there's mm -hmm. lots of really cool things. Yeah, it brings up all kinds of um, ideas. I think it has infinite possibilities and just um, really congratulations to you for finding that and, um, and moving forward with that. I think it's fascinating. Is there a way that, that people can get involved or experience it? What's the best way to do that? 
Yeah, so once it's available, um, you'll be able to find it. Just search for LGBTQ VR Museum. I'm pretty sure it's the only one. Okay. Um, if you search for that on SideQuest or App Lab for Oculus headsets. Ideally, I'd love to make a, um, a WebXR version and also a web version for people without VR headsets. But currently, right now, just because we're a tiny team, it's me and a few volunteers, essentially. Um, we haven't been able to, to develop that just yet. So that's on the horizon. Um, but yeah, once it's available, so towards the end of July, if you search on SideQuest, an app lab um, you should be able to find it to experience it if you have an oculus headset and if you'd like to get involved and contribute you can find me very easily you can just google my name antonia forster uh, the best way to get in touch is, is probably the twitter or linkedin and if you shoot me a message i'm always looking for more volunteers more contributors um, whatever that may be whether it, you want to feature your 2d artwork or whether you're able to scan a 3d item and incorporate that into the museum awesome i love it um very cool. In my research for the show today, I came across several articles about VR and the LGBT plus community and how certain chat rooms and games have now become regarded as safe spaces and the significance of avatars when it comes to coming out and things. And also the impact that VR is just the idea of being able, being able to have a community without borders is having on the LGBT plus community. So what impact are you seeing VR having in this area? Well, I think VR has an, a number of impacts on marginalized communities of all kinds, but especially on the queer community. And you touched on a few there. First of all, connection and anonymity. Digital spaces have always been somewhere for people to find like-minded individuals, regardless of their physical location. Maybe you live in a country or even just a suburb where it's not safe to be openly queer. Maybe you don't know any other queer people, even if you are out. So VR and the internet in general offer a unique opportunity to connect with other kindred spirits. There's also the possibility for expression. Video games and the use of avatars have always been brilliant in allowing people to explore gender identity and gender expression, because unlike your physical body, you can very easily make changes to an avatar and it doesn't have to look like you do in real life. It can more represent your internal image of yourself or your desired image of yourself. And that can be temporary. You can change that and explore that easily, trying different appearances on. It doesn't even have to be humanoid. So in terms of those two points, connection, anonymity, or three points, I guess, expression as well, VR isn't doing anything new per se, but it does allow a very physical feeling of presence that hasn't been there before. Mm. You can really be in the shoes of a character or an avatar and be around other people in a way that feels extremely realistic. And I personally think full body tracking adds to this a lot as well. So I love going into VR chat, meeting people. And I also do yoga classes, meditation and dance classes with full body tracking in VR. Amazing. So I think that's the new aspect of it for virtual reality is that immersion and physical presence. Yeah, yeah, very cool. And what are some of the, the examples that you've seen of of XR being able to create this empathy or change somebody's perception or perhaps be a catalyst for change? I have mixed feelings of the phrase empathy machine. I think the potential for VR to increase empathy is amazing, but we have to be really careful in not over-egging it or counting on it because there's a danger of things like uh, oppression tourism or marginalization tourism. So going through a VR experience of being a refugee or being homeless or experiencing racism or sexism or homophobia obviously doesn't compare to actually experience, experiencing it yourself every day for years and years. And it has an added danger of making someone think, oh, now I understand what that's like. And then maybe not listening fully to the experiences of others. 
also one person's experience is not the same as someone else's so my experience of homophobia as a white cis able-bodied woman is not going to be the same as someone else's as say a black trans woman who has disabilities so i think vr has amazing potential but i'd caution against assuming it can fix all of our empathy and awareness problems but that said people are doing amazing things um stanford's virtual human interaction lab created an experience about homelessness that was shown to increase people's empathy towards the homeless and it made them more likely to sign petitions for affordable housing here in the uk an artist called rob eagle created a mixed reality experience called through the wardrobe sorry through the wardrobe which looks at the considerations that non-binary people have to make when they're choosing clothing and very recently last week i experienced a vr immersive theater experience called welcome to respite and in that you play a seven-year-old child who has dissociative identity disorder and there are live actors that play your parents that was really moving having these two adults looming over you and bending down to give you a hug and reassure you it was very touching and a fascinating insight into DID as well. Um, as someone who has struggled with mental health issues and experienced dissociative episodes as well, I was really moved by how accurately those parts were portrayed. So it was very oh, moving. That sounds amazing. Wow. And I love that combination too of extending virtual reality into, you know, a live experience as well and um and being mm. able to bring people together and connect in that way that sounds really cool as as a member of this community and as a woman have you yourself faced exclusion in this industry and um and how exactly do you think like the xr industry rates in general when it comes to diversity and inclusion that's a great question um personally i've always felt that my gender being a woman has been more of an obstacle than being mm. queer maybe that's because people don't immediately know my sexuality when they meet me whereas my gender is more sort of visible i don't have an option of whether to disclose that or not um, i've been very lucky that i haven't experienced explicit sexism so no one has ever told me i don't belong apart from youtube comments and some horrible dms from trolls on the internet um, in person that's never happened but implicit sexism is very insidious and still very harmful things like when job adverts say our ideal candidate will review his code or the team starts talking about the new guy they're going to hire before they've actually done any interviews. When you're the only woman in the room, that's super common. Actually, in my previous company, I was the only woman in the company who programmed and I wasn't especially experienced. So those kind of things make me feel under a lot of pressure to perform. There's something called stereotype threat where anyone in a minority or marginalized group feels that they represent their whole demographic. And that causes your glucose levels to drop, your heart rate increases, and it actually causes you to perform less well because you have less cognitive capacity left over because you're busy fighting that internalized stereotype. That said, I think compared to a lot of technological fields, XR is relatively diverse and inclusive. And I think that's maybe because the tech changes so often. It's an emerging field and everything is constantly changing. So it is a bit more difficult for anyone to be an expert. If you have six months experience, any more than that is you know, largely, it's probably changed since then. So it's more difficult for people to gatekeep it from newbies. And I think for that reason, we see more diverse creators. Yeah. Well, and I also love that I can see like a younger generation um, already coming in and experimenting with this, you know, especially with having engines that are, are free and accessible and out there. Um, I mm. think it's really interesting that you know, older people who have had to retrain as well as younger people who are maybe training for the first time um, from from an age point perspective. I think it's very diverse as well. 
Yeah, mm. interesting. I mean, I find as a woman in tech, there's I, I feel like I put a bit of pressure on myself to, you know, always be the best and always yeah. be able to, you know, um, like I'll go into something and having prepared thinking like I'm going to be very intimidated by all these people in the room and stuff. And then I realize, oh, actually, you know, I've overprepared. I've like overthought this. And um, mm-hmm. and it is that kind of like pressure that I realize I just kind of put on myself. But I have worked for companies in tech where um, where being a woman was like being a second class citizen, you know, and um, and also worked mm-hmm. with other women who were anti other women, you know, and I think um, that was kind mm. of the most distressing probably for me, you know, going into a place where you don't have other su- people supporting you, you know, is, um, yeah, yeah, interesting. I think um, in general, I think that, um, you know, we're having a lot of these conversations in the XR industry and in tech. And I, I think as far as leading, we are doing pretty well as, as far as setting examples. Um, I think it can always be better. Um, but I just think, um, you know, as long as we're having these conversations, putting it out there in the forefront, making sure that, uh, you know, like when I host the XR Summit, you know, we always do 50-50 representation. We always try to represent minorities. And mm-hmm. I think it's just kind of standing up and saying that, you know, I won't do this panel unless there is this kind of representation, which I've, which I've done various times throughout the years but now it's becoming such commonplace that when i look at an event and it's only a certain demographic of people um i tend to say i'm not going to that event or you know or you need to hire me to make sure that you know we um don't just represent one kind of person in this industry there's no excuse for it i think it's actually really important for us Right, exactly. And I I think it's really important for us in particular as white women, because we occupy this space where we have certain disadvantages, um, but we also have a lot of privileges. So, you know, the the prevalence of white women in tech is far higher than the prevalence of of women of color or or Latina women um, or or Latinx people in general and and, and black people in general. So, yeah, I think we have this interesting position where um, we're fighting for representation, but at the same time, it's super important that we say, you know, if... I've I've felt a few times when I'm invited to a conference that am I only being invited to diversify the panel because it's all you know white men I'm the only woman and if that's the case if it's an all white panel it's it's really not okay uh, and there really is no excuse for it now so um, yeah I think it's really important for us to 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 use that I guess exactly exactly um, so as far as the industry goes and the future of XR um, what do you see for the future do you have any concerns about um, how the future of XR could go wrong. Um, and then also what are kind of your hopes maybe for the future of XR? Yeah, I think in terms of XR concerns or fears that there are a few, um, you know, popular media like Black Mirror does a really great job of portraying the sort of areas where we should be very careful and um, where we, we could go if we're not too careful. I think the best talks I've seen about concerns around XR are by Kent Bai, who specializes in XR and ethics. And I've attended a few meetings by the IEEE XR Ethics Committee, who are creating the kind of policy advisor documentation around this. And the concerns people have are not necessarily things you would expect. It it does cross over with popular media, but there's a lot of concerns people don't think about. So one example is VR is so immersive that it can act as a therapy and it can be therapeutic for people who have PTSD or it can actually trigger PTSD. So how do we regulate that? How do we, uh, another example, how do we moderate VR spaces so that they're safe 
but they still allow open gender expression and freedom and identity. And for me personally, my biggest concern is also my biggest area of hope. I hope that we see more diverse XR creators because when we experience XR content, especially VR, you're completely immersed in a virtual world and you're essentially stepping into the imagination of one creator. If all of those, or maybe a team of creators, if all of the creators come from one single demographic, we're only going to get certain types of experiences represented, certain types of stories and certain prejudices and biases can be baked into that. So I really hope for the sake of the content itself and the industry itself, we see more diverse creators, but also because learning to code for me was the best thing I ever did for my career and maybe for my quality of life in general. I hope XR continues to become more accessible, that we see more diverse creators and therefore more diverse content in a sort of virtuous cycle moving forward. I love that. And I think you're really leading the way on that. So thank you for being a voice in that respect and um, and also for setting that example. Um, I just I want to ask you one more question, if that's okay. Um, you mentioned there about regulation and this is one that, um, you know, there's that you don't want to stifle creativity or innovation or, you know, but at the same time, you want to ensure that this doesn't turn into, you know, the the dark web you know, um, and I think there's kind of a fine line there. And, um, and what's your kind of take on that? What do you what do you think we should do about that kind of issue? I would say it's a case by case basis. I don't think there's I wish there was an easy answer. But I really don't think there is one having attended a few of these IEEE meetings, there's so many different considerations. Um, I do think we have to ask a lot of different people, not just the people who are using VR spaces now, but the people who we hope to use them in future as more people adopt headsets and as the content becomes a more um, common part of all of our lives, which I, I think it will be a particularly augmented reality. I think it's important to understand how people use it, what they use it for, what their needs are to make sure that we're not excluding any groups and that things are developed in an inclusive way. Um, but I do think it's a case by case basis. Um, VR chat is a great example of this because you have very different worlds, some of which are really inclusive and some of which are kind of crazy. Um, and the levels of moderation vary depending on sort of how it's managed. So it depends a lot on the on the demographic. You know, something where kids are going is obviously going to be a lot more moderated um, out of necessity than something that's aimed at a different audience. So. I think we just have to judge things case by case and um, consult with the users to understand their needs. Yeah, yeah, that's a good answer. Thank you. Um, so if people want to get in touch with you and, um, and maybe participate in the museum or find out more about what you do with Unity, where's the best place to reach you? Uh, Twitter, definitely. If you're on Twitter, I post there all the time about things I'm doing. My day job is more focused on XR in industry. So I post a lot about um, machinery and training and construction. So it's really uh, different to what I do in sort of my passion project. Um, but I do they do cross over uh, from time to time. So yeah, if you, if you Google my name, Antonia Forster, you'll find a lot of stuff. Um, my LinkedIn and my Twitter, I'd say, are the two best places to keep in touch with what I'm up to. Cool. Well, thank you so much, Antonia. It's been such a pleasure speaking to you. And I love your project. I love what you do. And I can't wait to see where it develops and what you do next. Thank you. Thank you so much. Pleasure. Um, thank you guys all so much for listening this month. Um, please join us next month and, um, and take care. <laughs>